0: Father, what a powerful truth we just sang of that our hope is found only in Jesus Christ. We cannot please You apart from the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf, making it possible for us to be saved, to be redeemed, to be pardoned by the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, this morning I pray that we would bring this this understanding, this realization before Your Word today, realizing that Your Word is is what we need. It's what we need for tomorrow. It's what we need for the next day and the the next week and a month and the next year. As long as You tarry, we need Your Word living in us and through us with the power of Your Holy Spirit, unleashing Your Word in our hearts and minds, changing the way we think and changing the way we we speak and and conduct our our lives, Lord, I pray that we would humble ourselves this morning. Help us to humble ourselves before Your Word and Your truths because of the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us, because You are worthy to be honored, because You are worthy to be adored and, and obeyed. Lord, help us to obey Your Word. Father, I pray. Speak to us through the power of your truths this morning. Truths that we need to hear, truths that we need to be challenged by, even corrected by. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Would you turn with me to Third John? Third John, it's. Very near the end of the New Testament, if you are using one of the pew Bibles this morning, you'll find it on page 644. Uh, it barely takes up a full page, or even a third of a page in, the, in one of the pew Bibles. There, Third John, just uh, uh, 15 verses. We began a look at Third John last week. Last week we began our look here, and we noted here and in these first eight verses that we looked at last week, that we are to be, we saw this phrase here in the text, we are to be fellow workers for the truth, and we are privileged to be fellow workers for the truth. And and fellow workers for the truth have the truth as their foundation for everything. You see, if we're fellow workers for the truth, it's the truth that brings us together. It's the truth that makes us fellow workers. It's the truth that, that ties us and binds us together. The very truths that we just sang of, the truth of Jesus Christ, the truth the foundation of the gospel. the truth is the root of everything the truth the root of our fellowship, the fellowship that we enjoy it's the root of our of our hospitality that we are commanded to show to one another and to those in need of the love of Christ. The truth is the root of our love for one another, and the truth is the, the root of of our love for the world in need of Christ, our evangelistic love for them in that we witness to them and we point them to Christ and we show acts of kindness and love to them because Christ loves us. It's the truth that's the foundation for all that. We noted last week that fellow workers for the truth support and encourage each other. And we noted that that when we encourage and pray for not only the physical well-being of one another but also the spiritual well-being of each other, we encourage and build one another up in this. How great it would be, as we looked at last week, how great it would be for us to be able to look at each other and say, as John does about Gaius in verse 2, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. That's an amazing statement there, I think. A powerful truth. We have got to take personally that Yes, the physical is important. We often gravitate to the physical first, and we kind of talked about that this morning in our Sunday school hour when we were talking about the many ways that God provides for our needs. And we begin naturally; we're we're inclined to think of the, the physical needs first. And and just as we prayed this morning for individuals who are struggling with physical needs, John says to Gaius, "I'm praying, I'm praying that your health will match your physical health will match your spiritual health." Which which means that you know maybe it, it could mean that Gaius was struggling health wise, but it also means that his spiritual strength was way up there. His spiritual strength was strong. And that's a challenge to us, isn't it? To be people who whose spiritual strength is so strong that people could say, I'm praying for your health. I'm praying that your health will match your spiritual health, that will measure up and, and be as strong as your spiritual health. We also noted that fellow workers for the truth support and encourage one another. by we, we do that by rejoicing with one another. We rejoice with our brothers and sisters in Christ when they're found to be walking in the truth. you ever, you ever stop and think about individuals who, who come through your life, through the church, and maybe through your years in the church, maybe in even other churches where you've experienced people who, who faithfully Day in, day out, week in, week out, walk in the truth of god 's word obediently following the commands of of god 's word, and you have watched their lives and they 've challenged you and encouraged you by their obedience and their faithfulness. You ever go to them and rejoice with God over them and say i 'm rejoicing i 'm so thankful for you and your faithfulness i don 't mean to be give you giving you the glory you know we don 't give the people the glory, we give God the glory, right, but to be able to rejoice with someone who 's known who we, whom we've observed to walk in the truth faithfully believing, knowing and obeying the truth of god's word and we support and encourage one another this way when we find people who are living the truth to, to encourage them to, to go to them even in private even in private say thank you for being a godly example. you challenge me spiritually i 'm thankful for you. remain strong I'm praying for you that's a wonderful thing we do when we encourage one another. In the truth. And when we're walking in the truth, we observe that in others. And finally, we also noted that fellow workers for the truth support and encourage one another by ministering to each other's needs, meeting the needs generously in a manner that is worthy of God. Because when we support the needs of those who are doing God's work, we're giving our love to God in that act. We are giving our worship to God in that act. And in the ways that we support those in need who are advancing the gospel, advancing the cause of Christ, meeting their needs generously in a manner worthy of God, it's as if we're supporting God Himself. Those who go and minister for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ are very worthy of our generous and even sacrificial support. I encourage you to... Glance occasionally at the, mant- at the mantle on your left as you leave and look at the pictures of the missionaries that we're privileged to support. Not a great number, but a, but a healthy number for our church. And, and we're able to support them financially and prayerfully. And we're privileged to do so. And when we faithfully support God's people who take the gospel to the farthest people on earth and spread the good news of Jesus Christ, that is also considered to be faithfulness to God. Our faithfulness to them and generously supporting and providing for their needs is faithfulness to God. And we encourage and support one another by ministering to the needs of one another, especially those who are taking the Gospel to the farthest peoples on earth. That's what we noted in those first eight verses last week. And this is how things should be. This is how things should be in the church. And how peaceful and how sweet the fellowship in the church when we operate in this way. That's how things should be. That's how things should be in the church, but that's not always how things are in the church. That's not always how we find things in the church. John's tone changes pretty drastically here beginning in verse 9, and I want you to look at it with me. 3 John verse 9, and I'm going to read to the end of the chapter. Follow along with me in your copy of God's Word. John says, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, And not content with that, he he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face-to-face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, every one of them. You know, things can be very good in the church. Things can be very good in the church. Very healthy, very encouraging, very uplifting, and and very Christ-like but they aren't always. In verse 9, John introduces us to a man by the name of Diotrephes. Now, I think the most overwhelming and distinguishing characteristic of this man is John's statement about him in verse 9. Look at it when he says, what does he say there? He says of Diotrephes that he likes to put himself first. You know, some people just... Have to be first. We know folks like that. Maybe we struggle with that ourselves. We just have to be first. Some people just have to be first. Anyone with children can agree with me on this, that children know how to do this, right? Children love to be first. Um, we, Carolyn and I learned a long time ago as we, as our family began to grow in number that, that it just wasn't gonna work if we let each of the kids do what they wanted, you know, and let them have first place and everything. There are two very important places in our lives where we have, um, structured order and it just has to be this way otherwise we can't survive. Um, those two places are in, at the dinner table and in the car, or in the, in the van. We have assigned seating in both places. Now, you, you might think that's weird, but when you're 10 people, you just assign seats, and that's just the way it is, you know. At our dinner table, it's, you know, younger, older, younger, older parent. Younger, older, younger, older parent. That's just the way it works for us, okay? We shuffle things around about every six months. We go, hey, let's change it up. You move over there, you move over there, and that's where you're sitting from now on. Until we tell you otherwise, okay? I'm just mean that way. But it brings peace. Okay? Because there's no, I want to sit there, I want to sit there, right? You know? And my kids right now are going, we well, don't do that. It's because I don't let you. you, know? you know, in the van, too, we get in the van and there's a sign sitting in the van. If we didn't, it would be crazy. And sometimes we find that even our own thing, you know, even the arrangements we make, we think those sometimes don't work out. But usually it's younger, older, younger, older, you know, mix them up, keep them separated and, and uh, organized. And when we get in, there's no question about where you're sitting. Now, you know, sometimes we look at kids who say, Me first or I want that and a youngster, especially a small, cute child, two, two and a half, three, whatever, you know, those are cute. That's cute. You know, you say, Oh, that's cute. like he just wants to be first. He just wants his way. Isn't that cute? What's cute in a child, it might be you know, cute in a child, is is neither cute nor harmless in a man who wants to be first in the church. Okay? And what might be considered cute in a really small toddler is not cute in a full-grown human being who has to be first in the church. And that is what John is addressing here. Some people just love to be first. Some people just have to be first. They love to be preeminent, prominent, out ahead to have the place of authority. Unfortunately, this kind of an attitude is often accompanied by two things that are destructive in that person's life and in the lives of those around him and that is envy and pride you know you'll discover that people who must be first are almost always envious of those who have a role of authority they're envious of any power that anyone else has they're envious of others who have a a following because of their leadership maybe people are following them and they look and they see look they've got people following them and that drives them crazy you know they They're usually prideful in their own role of prominence and importance. They're also usually envious of those who have authority and those who have people following them. And often those who live this way, unfortunately, often those who live this way will live this way to the very end. Now, it doesn't have to be that way, but often people who have to be first will live this way to the very end. We have a couple of examples There's one very clear example of this in the Old Testament. Some of you know the story of Haman, right? From Esther. Haman was one like this from that Old Testament book and Old Testament story of Esther. Haman Haman loved the place of preeminence. Some of you are reading through the Bible this year and it wasn't too long ago you read through Esther, right? And you read this story and it's fresh in your mind. So much... Haman loved the place of preeminence that, that when the king commanded that everyone bowed down to Haman when he passed. He was you know, puffed up with self-importance, but then he discovered one man, Mordecai, who would not bow to Haman. And Haman got angry and got furious with Mordecai, and he decided, I'm going to build, and he gave instructions, Build, uh, I'm going to build a gallows in my backyard. Basically, he had a gallows constructed in his property, and and he plotted and he schemed, because he just had to have the place of preeminence, and there was one person who wouldn't bow to him in his presence, and that was Mordecai, and he was going to scheme and have Mordecai hanged. He got so furious, so envious, so jealous so prideful that he didn't only want to see Mordecai hanged, he wanted to see Mordecai's people, the Jews, he wanted to see them wiped out also, and so he plotted to have them destroyed. But in the end, if you know the story, you know God spared the Jews and Haman hanged on his own gallows. It's a sad account of a person who had to be first to the very end. There have always been those who wish to be first. There have always been those who desire the place of preeminence, and unfortunately there will always be people like that. Even among believers there may be found those who long to be first. We see it even among Jesus' own disciples in Matthew chapter 20. The, the mother of two disciples, you know this? If you know the New Testament, you know that the mother of two of the disciples came to Jesus and asked for a place of prominence, preeminence, the first place for her two sons, one to sit on the left of Jesus and one to sit on the right of Jesus in his kingdom. And Jesus' response in verses 26 through 28 of Matthew 20 is helpful. Uh, instructive to us. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus, even Jesus had to deal with this problem among His disciples, and so we know that it's not an uncommon problem, is it? Even Jesus dealt with it and he did so by pointing to the fact that he didn't even come to be served. He came to serve. Jesus didn't come to assume, assume first place. He came to be you know Jesus came to be. A, he came to be a sacrifice, not to be served, but to serve by sacrificing himself as a ransom for many. I want you to know this morning, if you know I think it's important that we pause for a moment and just say, if you're not a believer today. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we welcome you. We're really happy that you're here today. But I want you to know that Jesus Christ came and died specifically for your sins and my sins so that we could be liberated from sin, so that we could receive forgiveness for our sin, so that we might serve Him faithfully and benefit from His love showered on us If you don't know Christ, you need to know that Jesus Christ came and was a sacrifice for you, a ransom for many. And it doesn't do you any good to neglect that truth and ignore that truth. You need to come to the point where you realize you're a sinner in need of saving, that you can't come to God on your own terms. You can't be good enough, because none of us can be. And that's why Jesus Christ was sacrificed for our sins. His Father, His Heavenly Father God the Father, sent God the Son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. And how blessed we are that we have Christ as our Redeemer, as a ransom for many. And you can't have first place. That's God's place. And as a sinner who refuses to repent of sin, you're trying to take first place. You can't have it. It's God's. You know, the church must still face this problem. The church must still face this difficulty. This, this is just what John is dealing with in verse 9 and following, of 3rd, in the following verses of third John. He comes to this, this individual who's clamoring for the place of preeminence who wants first place, and he can't have it. Some people will take it. And sometimes that will destroy a church. Here we are, right in the middle of a letter about Christian hospitality. Those first eight verses were about Christian hospitality. And we're, you know, we're obligated to practice Christian love, Christian hospitality to others. We're commanded to. It's not a Choice is not if we prefer to, we're commanded to. Second John was about who we should not show hospitality to. Second John is the exception. Second John we find there that, that there are exceptions to showing hospitality and that is when people abandon the truth and start teaching falsehoods, we cannot show them hospitality. But generally speaking, we're supposed to show hospitality to our brothers and sisters in Christ and we're supposed to show hospitality to those who need Christ. That's commanded. That's expected. That's our obligation as followers of Christ. But that's not what this man Diotrephes was doing. Here we are, right in the middle of this hospitality teaching on hospitality in Third John, and John must address this serious problem of this man in the church, Diotrephes, who it says of him is very telling statement, who loves to be first. Now, what was Diotrephes doing? Well, in his desire for first place, he's pushing himself to the head of the church, right? Even ahead of, and I think it's very revealing that he's pushing himself even ahead of a leader in the church with apostolic authority, the Apostle John. It would be like, well, look at verse 9. Look at verse 9 again. John says that he had written something to the church and apparently Diotrephes had made himself the official church screener and he hadn't allowed that through. It would be like... And I'll let you fill in the blank here in your mind. Think of, think of the, mo, the person, the, the spiritual leader that is most trusted in your mind. The person who may have the biggest name, maybe well known to the world. A person that you admire and respect for their spiritual leadership. Now it's not the same thing. But it would be like that person sending a letter to this church saying, this is what you need to do as a church. And we respect them because they teach and preach God's Word. Think of that person that you respect because they hold to the truth. And, if, and, and they may be well known by many. Think if they sent us a letter saying, this is what your church needs to do, in obedience to God's Word, and we said, ignore that, throw that away. You know, Some of you might be thinking of Billy Graham or somebody like that, right? Somebody says, I'm going to write a letter to your church saying, this is the truth you need to hold to. This is the truth you need to hold to. What if Charles Spurgeon could write us a letter and say, this is what your church, a, a godly man, respected pastor, been gone for a long time, but what if he could write us a letter and we said, eh, take his stuff. Eh, we're not going to listen to that. That's what Diotrephes was doing. John had written a letter to the church. Look at verse 9. John says that he had written something to the church, and apparently Diotrephes says, yeah, I'm going to screen that one. That one's not getting through. No, the church doesn't need that one. He wouldn't even let this letter through to the church from the Apostle John. And as verse 9 says, he won't even acknowledge John's authority. He's rejecting that John has apostolic authority. Now, there's no suggestion here that this is a doctrinal issue. It's not like Dr. Fies is saying, well, we disagree with John in this area of doctrine and we think he's wrong. There's no indication of that. This is simply a matter of a man who wants first place in the church. And it says so clearly, because he wants first place, John says. And verse 10 points to the fact that not only is the screening of the church's male or refusal to even allow apostle teaching to enter the church, but he's also talking, what does it say? He's talking wicked nonsense about John and others who are preaching the truth. What is wicked nonsense? Lies, right? He's lying about John and about others who are preaching the truth. And that's often how it works. Very sadly, for one who is pride-filled and envious of others, when he finds that there is someone else who is gaining a hearing, he results to wicked talk. He results to lies and spreads lies and falsehoods about that individual to undermine their authority and to pull people away from their leadership and to following themselves. Flat out lies talking wicked nonsense. And also in verse 10, he doesn't stop there. What does verse 10 say? Look at it. He's not content with simply lying about those who, who are preaching the truth. He also is refusing to welcome them into the church refusing to show them hospitality. And those he's turning away, listen, those he's turning away are people the church should be showing hospitality to. This is not 2 John where they're saying, "Don't, don't give hospitality to these people who have abandoned the truth, who are teaching falsehoods. This is 3 John where John's saying, do show these people hospitality. These are people who are teaching the truth. And Diotrephes is... Shoving them out the door. You can't come in here. We don't want your teaching. No hospitality from us. Now we're not seeing here the problem that's, that of course was addressed in Second John as dealing with false teachers. But not only is he refusing to welcome the brothers, not only is he refusing to welcome those who are coming to preach the truth, What else is he doing here? Look at it. In verse 10, he's refusing to show these traveling preachers hospitality, but he's also stopping others from showing them hospitality. Those who wish to obey and be obedient believers and show these traveling preachers of the truth hospitality, and he's rejecting their wishes to do that. He's stopping them who wish to show those hospitality who deserve and need their hospitality and not satisfied with that. He's not done. Look at what it says. He even throws them out of the church. How sad it is when there are those in the church that must be first and at all costs and driven by this kind of personal ambition, a person or people like this can literally destroy a congregation, can destroy a church. But it doesn't have to be that way. I want you to note how John promises to deal with Diotrephes. Back in verse 10 he said, So if I come, what does he say there? Look at verse 10. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing talking wicked nonsense against us. If I come, I will bring up what He is doing. I will expose what He is doing. He promises to expose diatrophies for the person that He is. Back in verse 10, He says, so if I come, I will bring up what He is doing. John's not going to look the other way He will bring to light the very things that Diotrephes is doing to God's people and against God's Word. Remember that if you support those, we just mentioned it in the introduction this morning, if you support those who are doing God's work, you are showing your love to God. That is service to God. The opposite is also true. If you reject those who are doing God's work, you are rejecting God. And it's a very serious thing, obviously. He will bring to light the very things that Diotrephes is doing here to God's people and against God. And and we're given here, I think this is a very helpful indicator to us as to how we should be very courageous and very willing to confront those who wish to unsettle the church from its foundation of truth. You know, often there are those who will come along who, like a Diotrephes, who long to be first, who just have to be in first place. And what they end up doing is making the church the trophy case of their personal accomplishments instead of what the church should be, a workshop for followers of Christ to learn and challenge one another to be Christ-like and live godly examples. We dare not take this example lightly. As long as the Lord tarries, there will be those kinds of problems that we must be willing to face squarely with the truth of God's Word, squarely with the authority of God's Word. That is the only authority we have to face these kinds of problems. That is why it is so critical for us as a church to claim God's Word is our foundation for everything we do. It is the truth to saturate our hearts and minds with God's truth so that we are ready to face squarely with the truth of God's Word, standing firmly on God's truth and saying, that cannot happen here. It breaks my heart to be able to say that I can look back, I was thinking about it this week, as I look back, and I had to add it up, I can't believe it's, I've been, as an adult, I've been in a church for 25 years. And I know to some of you that's not very long. But in that brief time, I am saddened to say, and some of you will identify with this because you have seen it too, you have witnessed it, you have been a part of it in other places. Not the same places that I've been. But in my brief 25 years as an adult in the church, I have personally witnessed these kinds of people who do great damage to the church and great harm to those who preach the word and great harm to themselves. And when the leadership, I will challenge you, please listen to me carefully, when the leadership in the church refuses to stand with those who are preaching the word, When the leadership refuses to stand by the pastor and those who are leading, and when when the leadership steps ahead to take on a diatrophies with the truth of God's Word, who this man says, I want to be first in my way or the highway. And when the leadership steps up to confront a person like that with the gospel, with the truth and the authority of God's Word, and the people don't stand with them, it never goes well for that church. And I can unfortunately say I've seen it in several churches in my brief 25 years as an adult in the church. I've seen it as a youngster too, growing up. My dad being a pastor all my young life, and it made me bitter at many times, seeing the way my father was treated and those in leadership were treated. And it's a very difficult thing when people stand against those who are preaching the truth and want to point people to Jesus Christ, and there's a Diotrephes who comes in and says, no, 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 it's my way or the highway. How hard, how difficult, how dangerous and destructive, and I can guarantee you it never goes well for that church when that church refuses to stand with the leadership or the leadership is divided and they refuse to stand together. On the foundation of the truth of God's Word, Think about what Diotrephes is doing. Diotrephes is doing everything. Everything he's doing is in direct opposition to what John commended Gaius for doing in the first eight verses. And then in verse 11, we find a loving reminder that what Diotrephes is doing is not to be imitated by God's children. Listen, we dare not imitate a person who longs to be first. Look at verse 11 again with me, would you please? Beloved, there it is again, that beloved. Gaius is loved by God, loved by others, loved by John because of the truth. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Do not be influenced by... By this one who insists on being first, is what John is saying. Do not be influenced like him or, any, or by anyone like him. Don't be like this. For one thing, it's possible that Diotrephes isn't even a believer. Look at the statement again in verse 11. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. And look at this next statement. Whoever does good is from God. This is much like what, he, what John says in 1 John. Whoever does, not, does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. In other words, he doesn't even know God. It's possible Diotrephes is in the church and he's not even a follower of Christ, which is a challenge to us which is the challenge that I have given you again and again, especially when we study through 1 John, we are to examine ourselves to find out whether we are in the faith. Because you can be in the church and not be a follower of Christ. You can be in the church and never have come to the point of realization that I am a sinner in need of saving. I must confess my sins and commit myself to God and, and rejection of sin. You can be in the church and have never come to that point. That's for one. Now, it's interesting also that for the one bad example we're given to avoid diatrophies, we're given at least three good examples to follow in this passage, which I'm thankful for. One bad apple, several good apples, right? One bad example, don't do this, but here are the good examples. In verses 1-6, through we're reminded that Gaius is walking in the truth, right? He believes, he knows the truth, he follows God's Word, and he is showing the love of God to those who are traveling to the church, preaching the truth. That's example number one. Gaius is a man of God who John prays for and says, I hope I'm praying for your physical health to match your spiritual health. That's an example to follow, isn't it? And then in verse 10, we have the, the example of others who are who were in the church. They're unnamed, but there are others in the, in the church that we see in verse 10 that are attempting to show Christian love and hospitality to those who are preaching the truth. They are attempting to, to serve God in this way in how they show love and hospitality to those who are traveling to bring them the truth of the gospel. And yet they're running into a di- di- diatrophies who's refusing to allow them To serve, But their desire, their heart is in the right place, and they are serving. And and as a result of their insistence on allowing people to come into the search, Diotrephes is kicking them out. That's example number two. And then in verse 12, we're given the example of a man by the name of Demetrius. He's example number three we have to follow. Verse 12, look at it with me. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. Now John has just given, in my estimation, this man who serves the church, a very solid commendation. I mean, look at it. Let's break it down. Look at this. In, in verse 12 he says, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone. That's a powerful statement. And by the there are three marks here that we can kind of measure those who come and say, "Oh, I want to teach you the truth" or or those whom we read or those whom we watch on television, those who claim to speak for God. There are three measures I think that are very helpful here to help us kind of screen those people and say, "Are these people that are preaching the truth? Are these people that we should follow? Is this a person I should listen to?" And that first one, the testimony of others statement is pretty amazing. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone. From everyone. Not from a few. Not even from many. It doesn't even say a few testify. Not even many testify. It says everyone speaks well of Demetrius. That's measure number one of how we can determine whose teaching and leadership we should follow. Who we can follow. Measure number two. John says, and the truth itself is a measure. The truth itself reveals that Demetrius is one who has a strong testimony for the truth. The truth itself. What does he teach? Is it according to God's Word? What does he believe? What does he teach about the truth of God's Word? Is his doctrine squarely founded on the truth of the gospel of God's Word? That's measure number two. And then measure number three of how you can know if you should follow the leadership or teaching of another. John says, we also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. What do others say? What do others who are, who are trusted followers of Christ, other ministers of the gospel, what do they say about Him? Do they report that His teaching aligns with the truth of the Scriptures? And so you have the testimony of others. Do people speak highly of him? Do they, and and in, uh, in, um, in this man's case, he has everyone saying, this is a man of God. Everyone saying, this is a man that we should follow. It's kind of a, an overwhelming statement here from John. And then what do the Scriptures say about this person's teaching? What, how does the person's teaching align with God's Word? Does it align with the God's Word? Is it squarely founded on the truth? Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. The truth reveals what you believe, what you teach. The truth will reveal what a person who claims to speak the truth is, whether they really are speaking and teaching and living by the truth. And then what are those who are trusted followers of Christ, those who are teachers and preachers of the Word, and what other Christian leaders say about this person's teaching? Those are helpful in helping us examine the teaching that we gain, that we get from many directions in the world in which we live today. We have many opportunities to take in Christian teaching. It's important that we screen them and be careful that we aren't taking in the teaching that is opposed to Christ's likeness and opposed to God's Word. What do other trusted ministers of the Gospel say about it? Well, surrounding all of this, undergirding all of this, its foundation is truth. A truth of the Gospel. Our foundation for all we do must be the truth of God's Word. And now there's these closing remarks, these last three verses, which are very similar to those in 2 John when John says, I had much to write to you, But I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and and we will talk face-to-face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, every one of them. John points to, and I want you to note that he points to, he's pointing to things like friendship and fellowship and peace, and those things are available to us when we pattern our lives on the truth and we follow godly examples. Friendship and fellowship and peace. You may not have always experienced that in the church, and that's not how things are to be. This is how things are to be in the church. Because as we as we reflect back over this letter, this letter of 3 John, and we learn that if we will believe and know and walk in the truth, if we will found ourselves in the truth as a basis for everything we think and say and do and how we operate and how we live our lives and how we practice godliness in God's church, if we will believe and know and walk in the truth, and if we will show Christian love and hospitality to those who preach the truth and walk in the truth themselves, and if we will find and follow Christ-like examples, there will be for us the blessings, the wonderful blessings of friendship and fellowship and peace in the church, and that is how it should be. Amen? That is how it should be. Let's pray. Father, I pray, in light of the truths that You've challenged us with today from Your Word, I pray that You would help us to be firmly founded in the truth of Your Word. What a blessing it is to have the printed Word. How short-sighted we are. And Father, how guilty we are of putting ourselves in first place when we think we can neglect Your Word and get away with it. When we think that we can just do our own thing and do what we think is best and, and ignore Your Word and what Your truths teach us. Father, how short-sighted of us. Help us to not neglect Your truth. Lord, I pray that You would encourage us and challenge us and convict us that we ought to be saturated with the truth of Your Word so that we will know it personally, so that Your Holy Spirit will take it deep into our souls so that it will affect our thinking and our speech and our conduct and that those would glorify You and that should there be the desire in our hearts for first, first place, God, help us to always realize that you sent Jesus Christ to be a sacrifice, to serve, and that those who follow Christ are to serve. Yes, you give us leadership. You give us those in authority and leadership over us, but they are to be leading from the Word. So, Lord, help us to make sure that we pick those who would lead us, those who you placed in authority over us to guide us. Help us to make sure that they are people of the Word, people of truth so that they would not lead us astray, so that they would not claim first place for for themselves taking it from from You. God, I pray that You would help us to, to model ourselves after the precious Word that You've given us, model our lives and our thinking and our speech and our conduct after Your precious truths. And Lord, help us to always humble ourselves under Your mighty Holy Spirit, who desires to work in us, revealing Your truth to us, taking it deep into us, convicting us of sin, and helping us be more Christ-like in the way we speak, in the way we relate to one another, the way that we operate in the church and serve. Lord, help us to be faithful to You and obedient to Your Holy Spirit as You teach and guide and instruct through the power of Your Word, power of Your work. God, make us whole and strong as a church. Help us to truly enjoy the peace and fellowship and the friendship that's, that's supposed to be a part of the fellowship of the church, the body of Christ under the head, Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.